The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 30, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood? When I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Okay, we're in Numbers 32, 20 through 42. This is entitled A Possession East of Canaan. This is going to be more information than uh, typology and Christological uh, pictures and things today. But I hope that you'll get something out of it that will bless you. Verse 20, then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all your men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep, and do what is proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all of our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. So Moses gave to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan. 
the land with its cities within the borders, the cities of the surrounding country, and the children of Gad built Dibon and Atorot and Aror, Atrot and Shofan and Jazer and Jogbeha, Beit Nimrah and Beit Haran, fortified cities and folds for sheep. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Eliale and Kiriataim. Nebo and Baameon, their names being changed, and Shibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it, and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Havot Jair. Then Nobah went and took Kenat and its villages, and he called it Nobah after his own name. Of the first five verses of chapter 32, Matthew Henry draws a parallel to the things of the world and the life which is found in Christ. He says, Here is a proposal made by the Reubenites and Gadites that the land lately conquered might be allotted to them. Two things common in the world might lead these tribes to make this choice, the lust of the eye and the pride of life. There was much amiss in the principle they went upon. They consulted their own private convenience more than the public good. Thus, to the present time, many seek their own things more than the things of Jesus Christ and are led by worldly interests and advantages to take up short of the heavenly Canaan. This comparison is not unfounded, but to be fully understood, there has to be a parallel to the men who are noted in today's verses who do, in fact, go over Jordan to help the rest of the tribe secure their inheritance in Canaan. It's not good to arbitrarily make comparisons in the Bible unless there are other parts of the narrative which fit as well. And so if these tribes who are making a claim east of the Jordan compared to the people who reject what God offers in Christ, then who do the men armed for war who must go in to help subdue Canaan represent? Our text verse comes from Joshua 22, it's verse 9. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Once the land of Canaan was subdued, the men of war who fought the battles along with the inheritors of Canaan went back to their possession outside of the land of promise. They were happy to walk away from what God had promised and to get about the earthly life that they hoped for. The only reasonable parallel that I can think of for such people are those who fill the synagogues of the past until the coming of Christ and those who fill the church today. They are of the same caliber because they fail to simply have faith in God and receive his inheritance. Jesus said in Matthew 23:15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. These were people supposedly set to fight the Lord's battles, and yet they had only this world as their inheritance. Paul was one of them until he was called out of that and into the light of Christ. But those types of people didn't go away. There are innumerable pastors, priests, and preachers who have led many to Christ bringing them to their allotted inheritance, and yet they have already secured their inheritance in this earthly life. They do not believe, and indeed they desire what this world offers far more than what God promises. 
What a sad, hollow existence. John Wesley, the great evangelist of England many years ago, went as a missionary to Georgia in 1735. He was an ordained priest in the Anglican Church, and yet he knew nothing of the salvation which is found in Christ. In his journal, he wrote, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? Until he finally came to know Christ, his lot was in this world. He fought battles for people to come to Christ, and yet he remained an earthly man outside of the promise himself. Eventually, that changed. He crossed the Jordan and received his place in God's promised inheritance, but countless others failed to do so. Think on such people as we go through our verses today. Think on your own state as well. Have you truly entered into the promise that God offers in Christ? Or are your efforts simply helping others to get there while you remain apart from him altogether? Only you and the Lord know. May your efforts be for others because you already have your inheritance, not despite lacking one yourself. Such things need to be evaluated, and the place to do that is found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is, if. It's verses 20 through 30. Verse 20, then Moses said to them, if you do this thing. The excited anger of Moses from the previous verses begins to abate by the words of the children of Gad and the children of Reuben. This is apparent because he changes his tone from direct assault to a more subdued proclamation. If you do this thing. Here, he is speaking directly to the leaders. He expects that what he will next say will apply to them personally. They will not be exempt from the overall directive given to the tribe as a whole. This is apparent from the words of verse 21. Here, it is seen that he is willing to consider the request and grant these tribes what they desire, but his approval is conditional. And so he continues with, verse 20 continues, If you arm yourselves. He uses the same word they used in verse 17, halats, translated here as armed. It is the same word which was used in 31.3 and 31.5 when speaking of arming men for the battle against Midian. The word comes from a primitive root signifying to pull off, and so it gives the sense of being pulled off or separated. One could paraphrase Moses' words as, if you separate yourselves. And this separation is to be, verse 20 continues, before the Lord for the war. Again, this is the same preposition they used in verse 17, where it said, before the children of Israel. One can see that their term, the children of Israel, is being equated by Moses to the Lord's instrument for milchama, or war. The obvious meaning is to leave their homes and families and join the forces for battle, thus arming themselves. One concept leads directly to the next. This term, before the Lord, is seen by some as meaning according to the order of the tribes as they marched in the wilderness. Back in Numbers 2, if you remember, it showed that Reuben and Gad were under one banner, along with the tribe of Simeon, and that as they marched, it was in front of the most holy objects. Thus, they were literally before the Lord. However, this is probably not what is being referred to. There is no reason to assume that the entire sanctuary was carried into the battle. The term before the Lord has two references. The first is that of verse 22 of this chapter where Moses spoke of the land being subdued before the Lord. It's a general expression. The second reference is found in Joshua chapter 4 
which says that the priests stood in the midst of the Jordan with the ark as the children of Israel crossed over. At that time, it says, and the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. This is what Moses is referring to. The leaders of these tribes would cross over first before the children of Israel, which means that they crossed over first before the Lord, because Israel is the Lord's instrument of war. With it understood that he is not exempting the leaders from this directive, he next continues with verse 21, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord. Though most translations have the word all qualify the word men it only qualifies those men who do go. It says there in verse 21 from the New King James Version, and all your armed men. The Hebrew reads, and cross over your men, every armed. The Hebrew is even hyphenated to ensure that this mistake is not made. And yet, most translations fail in this. This is important because it takes us back to what we saw last week and what we just saw in the quote from Joshua. Actually, only a portion of the men crossed over, about 40,000 out of almost 111,000. Thus, one can see the importance of a proper translation. A small change from all men to all armed makes a large difference in intent. As you can see, the words of this verse were literally fulfilled in Joshua 4. However, it can still be debated whether the men of these tribes actually went first across the Jordan or whether the term Lifne Yehovah, or before the Lord, is being used even there in a general sense. It is best to not get overly dogmatic, because even though Israel lets slip the dogs of war in Canaan, it is only a poetic term, and real dogs were not employed in the battle. No matter what, we have a sure record of the fulfillment of Moses' words in Joshua. These tribes would go into battle, and that would last, verse 21 continues, until he had driven out his enemies from before him. Here Moses uses the common word yarash, which means to dispossess. The idea is that Israel's inheritance, meaning Canaan, involves the disinheritance of the Canaanites. Further, he makes this statement in the third person singular. Until he, meaning the Lord, has dispossessed his, meaning the Lord's, enemies from before him, meaning the Lord. The land is the Lord's, and he has given it to Israel. The significance of this is not to be missed. Their inheritance and their continuance in their inheritance is completely conditional. The Lord is giving the land to Israel. They may dwell in it when they are obedient, and they may not when they are disobedient. That is certain because here the inhabitants of the land are called Oyevav, or his enemies. But guess what? In the book of Jeremiah, using the same word, Oyev, it says this in the book of Lamentations. Standing like an enemy, he has bent his bow. With his right hand, like an adversary, he has slain all who were pleasing to his eye. That word adversary is Oyev. On the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord was like, again, an Oyev, an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all her palaces. He has destroyed her strongholds and has increased mourning and lamentation in the daughter of Judah. The Lord dispossessed his enemies, meaning Israel, sending them into captivity, some by the Assyrians, some by the Babylonians, and some by the Romans. 
But unlike the Canaanites, the Lord made a covenant with Israel. Were it not for his faithfulness to that covenant, which still stands to this day, there would not be a single Hebrew left. Moses' words concerning the Lord's conquest, rather than Israel's, is actually a stern warning to Israel. This continues to be seen next, verse 22. And the land is subdued before the Lord. This is the first time since the book of Genesis, chapter 1, that the word kabosh, or subdue, has been seen. It is a possible choice for the root of our modern word kibosh, as in putting the kibosh on something. It signifies to bring into bondage or to subdue. The Lord told man to subdue the earth and to fill it. Now Moses speaks of the land of Canaan being subdued before the Lord. Here, it is apparent that Israel is the Lord's instrument of warfare. It is to these tribes of Israel that the word from Moses is given, and yet what they will do is ascribed to the presence of the Lord. When the land is subdued before the Lord, verse 22 going on, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. Moses has said that the land is to be subdued before the men of war from these tribes before they can return. Once that is accomplished, then they will be Nekayim, Yehovah, Umi, Israel, or innocent from Yehovah and innocent from Israel. It is only upon completion of the conquest of Canaan that their innocence will be established. Technically, only once that occurs will the next words be true. Verse 22 continues, And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. It would be unfair for Gad and Reuben to have the final granting of their possession proclaimed before the land of the other tribes was subdued. They are given it now. They are allowed to build on it now, but it only becomes a true possession at the end of the matter. Verse 23, But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. The idea here is the personification of sin. Their promise is that they would go before the children of Israel until every one of them had received his inheritance. To not keep this promise would be sin, and it would overtake them and come upon them in the form of guilt. And with the guilt of sin will come punishment. With this understanding, Moses concedes to their request. Verse 24, build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what is proceeded out of your mouth. Moses substantially repeats the words of Numbers 30 verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Their words in verses 16 and 17 were, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. Moses reprioritizes their words, placing people above animals, but he otherwise leaves them unchanged. And then he reminds them that the words of a vow are binding. They must be fulfilled. Verse 25, And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Here their voices are united as one. It says, Your servants, plural noun, will do, third person plural, as my, singular noun, Lord, commands. One is probably speaking for the group. And so he affirms the vow for all of them. Verse 26, our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. Here, both wives and flocks are mentioned for the only time in the chapter. Before, they were lumped into the general thought of little ones and livestock, but now they are separated. 
The only thing that I can personally think concerning this is that until this point, some betrothals or maybe some anticipated marriages may have been at stake. Without the approval of Moses, other tribes may not have wanted their daughters to marry into these tribes. But now, that will no longer be the case. Also, the Hebrew doesn't say Gilead, but rather the Gilead. The term is being used to express the entire area where the tribes have been allowed to settle. The term then is synonymous with what was said in verse 1, the land of Gilead. This land, the Gilead, has been granted as their future possession. Verse 27, but your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. As in verse 21, the Hebrew specifically says every armed. It is only referring to those men who are separated for war. And again, as in verse 26, the voices are united. One person speaks for the whole. Here, he again finishes with my Lord in the singular. Also, in verse 17, these men said they were ready to go before the children of Israel. Since then, Moses has said before the Lord or before him, meaning the Lord, six times. He also noted one time that they would sin against the Lord if they did not comply. Now these men acknowledge that they will go before the Lord. Their thinking has been corrected, their priorities have been corrected, and also their theology has been corrected. Verse 28, so Moses gave command concerning them to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. The decision is made by the Lord. This is certain based on verse 32. However, it is Moses who then passes the command on to the leaders who would be affected by it. This is because he already knows he is not to enter Canaan. And so the verse is given to show that there would be no confusion after that time. Israel was to allow these tribes that land, but these tribes were expected to fulfill their obligation first, as is next scene. Verse 29, and Moses said to them, if the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. Again, as has been seen twice already, Moses uses the same term, every armed. The precise wording is needed to show that not all men will go, but every man that goes will be armed. Otherwise, this is the problem here. After Moses died, a dispute could arise that Moses intended for every man to go, thus leaving the women and children to build and defend the cities. It would immediately force these tribes to give up this grant. Does everybody see the importance of a single word in the Hebrew? And it's been repeated three times. And translations have not gotten it correct. Very few, maybe one or two out of all 20 or 21 that I look at, got this correct. And they're being very precise when they're saying these things. As I said a minute ago, these people got their theology corrected. If you don't know your Bible, you can't correct your theology. That's the point of what's going on here. We might not have a lot of Christological information in this particular passage, but we have a passage which points us directly to our need for knowing and understanding the Word of God. And if you don't read your Bible, and if you're not into it every single day of your life, you cannot be safe when you're listening to somebody preach at another church. Or if you go online and listen to a televangelist, or if somebody comes knocking on your door, you have no basis for your theology. That is the purpose of the very precise wording that's going on in this particular passage, and you should learn that that the Bible is the word of God and it is our marching orders and it is our instruction and it's also that to keep us out of harm. 
out of harm's way. However, it is now given that some will stay while others will go to battle. After the faithful service of these men, drawn off from the whole, they will then have earned their right to return and possess with their brothers the homes and lands which had been given intended to during their time of war. Verse 30, but if they do not cross over armed with you, here the verb armed is the plural chalutzim. The plural is speaking of the very separation that we have been noting. As the word signifies to draw off, we could paraphrase these words as, but if they do not cross over drawings off with you, those drawings off imply that those will be armed for war. Verse 30, they shall have possession among you in the land of Canaan. The words here are passive. If they don't actively go out to battle with the other tribes, they will be settled among the tribes in Canaan. Now, John Lang argues that this means they would be settled among the inheritances of the other tribes, meaning that they would not be settled as two separate and independent tribes. Whether this is correct or not is debatable, but if it was so, it would mean that they would eventually be swallowed up and lose their identity. If that is a correct assumption, it would be a huge motivating factor for them to uphold their part of this vow. Verse 31, then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, as the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. This shows that it is the Lord who gave the command, unless it is implying that Moses made the decision because he speaks for the Lord. But it seems unlikely that Moses would decide this without getting the Lord's approval. Canaan was the land of promise and the goal to be obtained. For Moses to decide such a matter without the Lord seems quite out of place, but it is also not out of the question. Verse 32, we will cross over arm before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. The agreement is made, but the inheritance is conditional based on fulfillment of the promise. The land is theirs if, and again, the word armed is plural, like in the previous verse. A group of the whole will be drawn off to cross over before the Lord. Take note, if you sin against the Lord, if you speak out a vow and do not follow through, the sin that you commit for it, wrath is stored, and he will repay trouble back to you. When you sin, your sin will find you out, and what you deserve will be catching up with you. Be sure of this. You need have no doubt. The Lord will require it, and he will follow through. But there is also grace with the Lord, and so when you come to Christ, mercy is waiting there for you. The wrath will abate every bit that was stored. When you heard the word of truth, you also followed through. Peace with God is found in Christ, so it is true. Come to God through Christ. Yes, in this, please follow through. Our second thought today is request granted. It's verses 33 through 42. Verse 33 so Moses gave to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. With the approval of the agreement, Moses at this time gives the land as it was requested. However, it is a conditional grant. Along with the request of Gad and Reuben, something new is introduced. For the first time, the half-tribe of Manasseh is suddenly brought into the narrative. Their inclusion, though, is based on what has already occurred. But which is not recorded until verse 39, where it notes that some from Manasseh were instrumental in subduing Gilead. Going back to the second census in chapter 26, we noted that Manasseh bore Machir to a concubine from Aram. From there, Machir named his son 
Gilead. It is the same area which is now under discussion and which they had valiantly subdued, probably because of their heritage. When the request was granted by Moses, this half-tribe of Manasseh either came forward hoping to obtain what they had won in battle, or Moses simply gave it to them before they even asked about it. Either way, the ironic element is that the same place from which Mahir's son was named, based on his mother being from this very location, Gilead, has become their possession. Verse 33 continues, The kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders, the cities of the surrounding country. The land of these two kings was subdued by Israel, as is recorded in Numbers 21. That area which Gad and Reuben so desired, and which Manasseh so valiantly strived to subdue, is now their grant. The inheritance of areas within this larger area are now described in order. First Gad, then Reuben, then the half-tribe of Manasseh. Verse 34. And the children of Gad built Dibon and Atorot and Aror. Dibon, as we've seen before, probably means pining. Atorot means crowns. Aror means stripped, bare, or naked. Verse 35. Atorot and Shofan and Jazer and Jogbeha. There's no and between Atrot and Shofan. It is more likely one location called Atrot Shofan. It means something like surrounded by the rock badger, or maybe crowns of the rock badger, or something entirely different. It's a hard set of words to translate. Jazer means helpful, or he shall help. Jogbeha means lofty, or exalted. Verse 36, Beit Nimrah and Beit Haran, fortified cities and folds for sheep. Beit Nimrah means house of the leopard or house of clean water. Beit Haran means house of the lofty or maybe mountain house. These cities are all said to be fortified cities. Along with them, Gidrot or folds for the sheep were constructed. Much of the building or rebuilding of these cities probably occurred while the men of war were fighting in the campaign. The other two-thirds of the men remained behind and built. We talked about that last week. Verse 37, And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Eliale and Kiriataim. Heshbon means something like intelligence. Eliale means God has ascended. Kiriataim means twin cities or maybe double cities. Verse 38, Nebo and Baal Meon, their names being changed, and Shibma. Nebo means interpreter or foreteller. Baal Meon means master of the house. The name Shibma should read, as we saw last week, Sibma, and it may mean spice. Verse 38 continues, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. The Hebrew more closely reads, and they called in names, names of the cities. It means they renamed the cities. A reason for this is because the conqueror or builder of a city has a right to name it or rename it whatever he wishes. And secondly, some of the city names are of pagan gods. And so to adhere to the law of not invoking the names of other gods, which is found back in Exodus 23, the names of the cities would be changed. Verse 39, And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. This verse speaks of what occurred in the battles against Sihon and Og in Numbers 21, and which was explained earlier. It is the reason that the half-tribe of Manasseh has been granted this land. Verse 40, So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. The meaning of this is that the land was given to the family of Machir, not specifically to Machir. 
Mahir was Manasseh's son and was long since gone. But being the head of the family, he is remembered in this way. The Gilead is granted by Moses to this family, and so this is where they settled. Verse 41, also Jair, the son of Manasseh. Here, Jair is introduced as a son of Manasseh. This means that he is a descendant of Manasseh. In 1 Chronicles 2, verse 21 and 22, it shows that he is a descendant of Manasseh, Mahir, Mahir's daughter, her son Segub, and then came Jair. Thus, Manasseh is his great-great-grandfather. Yair means he enlightens. The surprising part of this guy's genealogy is that he is reckoned as a son of Manasseh rather than a son of Judah. Remember what we talked about last week and several times in the past is that genealogy goes through the father, not through the mother, okay? Despite Machir's daughter having married Hetzron, a grandson of Judah. This could be because Hetzron was old and he married her and already had other children. He may not have wanted this to interfere with the inheritance rights of the other children and so their son was reckoned through Manasseh. This may not interest you at all, but sometime you may be reading this and then you get to Chronicles and say, why is this? Because he's supposed to be a Jew, not a Manassehite or whatever, right? So that's why I include every detail I can for you. And all of this is going to come down to some very nitpicky details, which I'm going to get to in the next two or three verses. And you're going to say, why is Charlie telling me this? It's because someday you're going to read a commentary on these verses and they're going to say there's a contradiction. And I'm making sure that you know that there is no contradiction. Verse 41 continues. Went and took its small towns and called them Havot Jair. This person, Jair, is said to have taken these small towns and renamed them after himself. The word Havot is the plural of the name Hava, or life. It is the same name as Hava, or Eve, who is Adam's wife. It is often translated as the towns of Jair, probably because a town or a city is where the bustle of life occurs. In 1 Chronicles 2, Jair is said to have 23 cities. However, in Deuteronomy 3, Moses says there are 60. People look to this as a contradiction. But that is because they don't see the term Chavot Jair is being used in both a wider and in a narrower sense. That is next scene with our final verse of the day. Verse 42 finishes us up with, Then Nobah went and took Kanat and its villages, and he called it Nobah after his own name. Novach means to bark. He is said to have gone and taken Kanat and its surrounding villages. Kanat means acquisition. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2, it says this, Geshur and Syria took from them the towns of Jair with Kanat and its towns, 60 towns. All these belong to the sons of Machir, the father of Gilead. What this means is that when Moses speaks of the 60 towns of Jair in Deuteronomy chapter 3, he is referring to everything taken by both Jair and Nobah. Here in Numbers, it is used in its stricter sense, meaning only the cities captured by Jair. But the wider sense is used in Deuteronomy is inclusive of what Nobah has taken here in Kanat and its daughter villages. A simple example would be that Tom Thumb has 15 McDonald's franchises in Sarasota. Those are Tom's McDonald's. However, there are actually 25 McDonald's in Sarasota. One might say, I'm going to Tom's McDonald's for lunch, while actually going to one that isn't Tom's. The term is simply used for the whole. This is the case here. And to throw in a monkey wrench, in Judges chapter 10, it says this, after him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. 
They also had 30 towns, which are called Havot Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Hamon. There's no contradiction in this. The sons of Jair were given 30 of the 60 towns in this area to rule, and they were called by the name of their father within the wider sense of the term mentioned above, like Tom's McDonald's. And so once again, the Bible passage ends with no contradictions. It just takes time to find this out. And it took me several hours on a Monday to find that out, because I don't want you to ever come across a commentary that says, well, there's an obvious error here. There's always an answer, and the Bible always resolves these things for you, okay? Good news before I go on, I typed the last number sermon this past Monday. We're almost done with the book of Numbers. There are some good, neat chapters coming up in the next few weeks, actually nine more weeks, I think. What we have recorded here is the first granting of land to any people found in Israel. Now, that seems like a great notable thing, doesn't it? And that their decision to stay to the east of Canaan was, hey, a good one. They were set in their towns and villages and did not have to wait any time at all to get started with the work of settling the land. But what starts out well outside of the land of promise is also destined to end badly in the same way. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, this is recorded. And they were unfaithful to the God of their fathers. This is speaking of the people we've been talking about today. And played the harlot after the gods of the people of the land, whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, that is Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. He carried the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh into captivity. He took them to Hala, Habor, Hara, and the river of Gozan to this day. The first to settle in their granted land were also the first to be dispossessed from it. The majority of the people of these tribes disappeared into obscurity. Any that were left were assimilated into the last remaining named tribe of Israel, that of Judah. The people had rejected the promised land of the Lord at the beginning, and they had rejected the Lord, the God of their fathers, after that. The land they thought was fair and nice was only a temporary possession, and without keeping their faith and trust in the Lord, it was taken from them. The scene is played out in the countless human souls that have heard the message of Jesus Christ and determined that life outside of his promise is better than life in it. We might look to the abundance of the fields, the possibilities for wealth and possessions, but we don't stop to consider how temporary and fleeting it all is. In the passing of a breath, our lives are done, and there is nothing left but death and separation from God. We who have already separated ourselves from God, is this to be your sad lot? Or are you looking to the better eternal inheritance that comes by faith in God and in his provision, which is found in Jesus Christ? The same God who created the land east of the Jordan also created the land west of it. And the same God who offered rest to Israel offers rest to us today. We just have to be wise enough to accept what he has already set apart for us. In the short term, the hills and pasture lands of the world are certainly enticing, but they require work. However, what God offers requires faith. One seems harder at the outset, and yet it is so much easier in the end. The other seems so rewarding at first, but it leads to a life which can never satisfy. We can work the fields for a thousand years, and guess what? The fields still need work. But faith in Christ leads us to the restful fields, which lay by still waters. 
Choose what you will do with Christ, but I would suggest you choose wisely. The work he worked is one time for all time. The land of promise is just ahead if you will just reach out by faith and receive it. And this is the message of the Bible. This Bible that doesn't have any contradictions, by the way. Once again, we've come to a passage that seems obliterated by commentaries on how unreliable the Bible is. And you just go to different parts of the Bible and research it, and it's reliable. So if we have a reliable word from God, then we also have a reliable word about Jesus Christ. And the message of the Bible is centered on the message of Jesus Christ. He did the work. Remember in the Prophecy Update, I was talking about the people falling in the Hebrew Roots Movement, and my sister out in Arizona called me and was in tears yesterday, in tears over the fact that this had happened to her friends. They're trying to work their way to heaven when he's already offered it to them for free. Get away from those things. Just trust in Christ. Put your faith in him. Have a bacon sandwich. Enjoy what God has given you. He loves you enough to give you freedom in Christ not to put you back under the bondage which he fulfilled for you. Thank you, God, for fulfilling the law of Moses through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go back to that and help him out because I know it wasn't sufficient, right? How silly, how desperately silly that we would do that in our lives. Cling to this cross. Go to the base of it and put your arms around it and let the blood just cover you and everything that you have done. Cling to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else. Okay, that's my appeal to you for today. Call on Christ and be saved from this wicked, disastrous world. Our closing verse comes from Hebrews 9, it's verse 15. And for this reason, he, meaning Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant. New covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Get ready, Jay. Next week is Numbers 33, 1 through 15. Israel trekked and trekked, but eventually the trekking was done by and by. It's entitled The Journeys of Israel. Part 1. From Egypt to Sinai. That'll be our 64th number sermon. Thank you, Jay. Okay, I've got a question for you. I've got a Maserati for whoever can figure this out. We mentioned the exile of the tribes east of Jordan today in our passage, right? They were the first in, they were the first out. It also noted that the, the Bible, it also notes that the uh, 10 tribes were exiled in 702 AD or 722 AD. Everybody know that the 10 tribes were taken away, exile? Okay. There's a doctrine that says, like British Israelianism, ever heard that? They believe that they are the ten tribes of Israel, or the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that they're the ten tribes of Israel. Okay, are there ten lost tribes? No. 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 Okay, if not, how do you justify that? Y'all get a Maserati for answering the question. Now I need you to justify that because somebody's going to come to you. Where does the Bible say so? Let me take you there. Uh, well, no. Revelation speaks of it, but they can say that's apocalyptic and that it pertains to us. So you can't really use that. First, I'm going to take you to Acts 26, verse 7. I'm going the wrong way. I get into the New Testament before I do that. Okay, Acts 26, verse uh, 7. You've got to know these things because there are people out there that will use their logic, which is wrong, and tell you there are ten lost tribes. And guess what? We're it. Acts 26, verse 7 says, To this promise, our twelve tribes... 
earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. It's present. Our 12 tribes hope to obtain. Okay? For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. And then we go way back to the 59th book of the Bible, which is the book of... Yes, right, James. And right at the beginning of it, it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So we know that they knew who the 12 tribes were. Yeah. All right? And then, if you go after the exile of the 10 tribes, which it says they're exiled, and it's because they were unfaithful to the Lord, and blah, 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 blah. And guess what? King Hezekiah sends people out through the land, and he says, come and celebrate the Passover with us. After the exile of the ten tribes, guess how many tribes are named? Simeon, Levi, Judah, Asher, Benjamin, Manasseh, Ephraim, Naphtali, and Issachar. Only Reuben isn't named. They're all named, and if there's one person of a tribe, that tribe still exists. Remember what it says in the New Testament? Uh, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, was there at the birth of Christ. Asher was still in existence. There are no lost tribes. That is a false teaching which has got people into all kinds of crazy theology. So I thought I'd throw that as your question for the day. Everybody gets a Maserati because you all said no. <laughs> but I'm taking two wheels off because you couldn't answer why. Alright, our poem today is called A Possession East of Canaan. Then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from him before, and the land is subdued before the Lord, as to you I now tell. Then afterward you may return and be blameless. It shall be as a reward before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure your sin will find you out. Pay close heed now to my word. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep too. And do what is proceeded out of your mouth, so you shall do. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands, just as you have been conveying. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead, according to your word. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as says my Lord. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun as well, and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you in your procession, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have their possessions among you in the land of Canaan too. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan. But the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. Our word shall be true. So Moses gave to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders, the cities of the country surrounding, which they had set their hopes on. And the children of Gad built Debon and Atarot and Aror, Atrot and Shofan and Jazer and Jogbihat too. Beit Nimrah and Beit Haran fortified cities and folds for the sheep 
So they did do. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon and Eliale, and Kiriathaim, Nabal, and Baalmeon also, their names being changed, and Shibma. And they gave other names to the cities which they built, as we now know. And the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it, and kept going and didn't quit, and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also, Jair the son of Manasseh went and took its small towns and called them Havot Jair, that name he did claim. Then Nobah went and took Kanath and its villages and called it Nobah after his own name. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you. To us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for this marvelous chapter which we've closed out today and for the wonderful pictures of Christ coming up in the next chapter in just another week, if you keep us here that long. But Lord, if it's your will to come and snatch us out of here today, we'll all be waiting. I'll be jumping to beat all these people here first. But Lord, until that day, we have people that we mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that are having difficulties, they're having trials, they're having many pains in their lives. And Lord, we would lift them up to you that you would be with them and be a comfort to them, whether through their affliction or alleviating it completely. Your will be done, but just let them know that you're in a presence with them and that you have not forsaken them in their time of trouble. Lord, we love you. We exalt you. We glorify you for who you are and for what you've done in our lives. We thank you. We praise you and we do so in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.